Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup Podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, November 10th. I hope everyone voted Tuesday or before Tuesday, depending on your state. If you didn't vote, you can't complain about the results. Well, you could, but that would make you a hypocrite. You'd also be a hypocrite if you complained about the healthcare system, but you don't try to do anything about it. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of the Roundup, the patient experience, courtesy of two new industry surveys, one from Accenture and the other from the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, and a company called TalkDesk. To tell us whether patients and providers are on the same patient experience page are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. But before we say hello to Dave and Julie, I wanted to say hello to the sponsor of the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Infor. By connecting the business and mission sides of healthcare, institutions can enhance staff experience and simplify patient interactions. With data-driven insights and greater operational control, our sponsor, Infor, supports your company in making healthcare a calling again for your staff. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Hey, Dave. I'm in Washington, D.C. for the Freedom, Opportunity, and Progress Conference, the inaugural conference. I like all those things, Freedom, Opportunity, and Progress. Avik Roy leads Free Up, a center-right leaning think tank. I'm here to look for and hopefully find ideas and language that can make healthcare reform a unifying rather than a dividing force in today's America. So how am I doing today? I'm feeling ecumenical. Wow, that's very impressive, Dave. Good for you. Julie, how are you? Always really hard to go after him. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, it has been this like gorgeous sunny weather in Seattle. So for all of you people out there who have like kind of normal weather, this is like making me so happy. Uh, But more importantly, I've been inside because it's the week before health and good God is gearing up for this thing. Exhausting. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of the emails, the uh, tweets and the posts and should be another good meeting. Uh, Good luck when you head out there. It'll be a doozy. Right. It's Las Vegas, right? Right. What's not to love? (laughs) Yeah, it's a conversation for another day. All right. Now, before we talk about these two new patient experience surveys, I did want to ask you about your voting experience. Dave, any problems at the ballot box? No problems at the ballot box, but a most interesting referendum in our precinct. Uh, We're in the 17th precinct of the 44th Ward of the city of Chicago, and we had a referendum on our ballot for approving a dog park just down the street from us in Lincoln Park. It passed with over 80 percent approval. So whatever else happened in the election this week, it was definitely a great day for dogs in our neighborhood. I'm assuming you voted for it, even though you're a cat person? (laughs) It's a secret ballot, Dave. So I understand. We'll leave it at that. Oh, <laughs> Julie, any interesting stories from Election Day where you're at? Well, just to juxtapose it to my San Francisco experience, which was walking the dog a block and a half to the local fire station to do the voting. And everyone was kind of nice and, you know, a little, not a lot, but a little community flavor there and some tradition. In Seattle, everything is, you know, in keeping with the Pacific Northwest super efficient and a little lacking in the area of community. 
there's just a drop box and you just drop your ballot off like you would in a mailbox and you drive away. It was really sort of sad. A little sterile, but efficient, right? That's right. uh, That's right. That's okay. And everybody wears fleece. Yes. A lot lot of puffies and fleece. That's for sure. (laughs) The line was pretty long at my polling place, but everything went smoothly. I did see someone I know outside and I asked them, oh, you know, are you done voting? And he said, oh, he's not voting because he doesn't know enough about the candidates. He was waiting for his wife to vote. And I thought, this is the problem right here, right? How at this point in time do you not know anything about the candidates? So anyways, let's talk about this patient experience survey from Accenture. Accenture surveyed 21,000 U.S. consumers about their experiences with payers and providers. Here are some of the more interesting findings. 30% of the respondents said they switched providers last year, and 25% did so because they were unhappy with their previous provider. Younger generations are far more likely to switch providers than older ones. And the biggest reason by far for switching providers was ease of navigation. Distant second and third were clinical expertise and convenience, Ease of navigation also was the number one reason people said they switched payers. A closer second and third were clinical expertise and access to in-network providers. Dave, what's your takeaways from the survey results? Are we seeing the rumblings of a customer revolution in healthcare? And where do you think these numbers will be five years from now? Dave, I want to dive down on the generational differences in these switching numbers. 30% overall is a big number but you get below the numbers, dive down a little bit. Boomers and older, 6%. Gen Xers, 19%. Millennials, 44%. Gen Zers, a whopping 55%. And that just tells you that this consumer customer revolution that we're talking about is bubbling up from the younger generations into the broader market as the generations age. So yes, and thank God for it. Millennials just aren't going to tolerate the crap that we've all have for years uh, interacting with the medical system. And the number one reason, ease of use, just aligns perfectly with what B.J. Fogg teaches at Stanford regarding behavioral change. He has that famous map model, motivation, ability, and prompt. So the younger you go, the motivation to switch based on ease of use is higher. The ability to switch based on just facility with devices is easier and the prompts have gotten better and better. That's the MAP. So I think, you know, to answer your question, Dave, we're going to see more of the same. Now, one thing I really liked about the report was its title, The Difference Between Loyalty and Leaving. We've got a little alliteration there. It also reminds me of the Clash song, Should I Stay or Should I Go? But the key word in this title is loyalty. How do you create it and how do you keep it? And the foremost expert on loyalty, we've mentioned his name a few times, is Fred Reichold, uh, the partner from Bain Capital, who's written several books on loyalty and launched their loyalty practice. He's the one who created the Net Promoter Score. And he actually dove down and created loyalty economics, which they used to infuse their practice. And the number one finding there is that retention of clients 
is the key difference between success and failure for companies in competitive industries and who's not in a competitive industry. So retention is the differentiating factor. And here's what he wrote on the link between employee retention and customer retention in his 2011 book, The Ultimate Question 2.0. Many executives forget that it's impossible to create loyal customers without first inspiring a team of employees so they become promoters themselves. Who would go out of their way for a customer unless he or she is proud and inspired to be part of the team? And while there are many ingredients of employee engagement, the right training and development, rewards, opportunity for growth, the feeling of being valued and so forth, the real foundation is this. Employees must be able to treat customers and colleagues in a manner that makes them proud. When leaders and their teams consistently treat people right, when they can be relied upon to do the right thing, then an organization can truly be worthy of loyalty. I think that couple of paragraphs should be required reading for all healthcare executives. There's a golden rule at play here, which is if you treat your employees the right way, they will treat your customers the right way, and it creates a holistic circle, a beneficial circle that rebounds to the benefit of the company and the marketplace and ultimately investors as well. So if you want to retain customers, and we, we just saw that 55% of Gen Zers are saying sayonara, then you got to treat your employees well so they can connect and be proud when they interact with these customers who are getting very picky and win them over. It's really not that complicated. It's just hard to do. And quite honestly, there aren't a lot of healthcare organizations that do it well. That's great, Dave. All good points. And <laughs> you uh, scored extra points today for mentioning The Clash, which uh, I think is a first. So well done. 1982. <laughs> Death or glory. All right, Julie, any questions for Dave? Well, all I know is I'm going to start preparing with some musical fact and trivia in mind. So just watch out. Yeah, Rock, here we come. So Dave, I was pretty blown away by kind of the lack of interest in clinical expertise as part of a, a driver for switching. And given how in love we are with ourselves as an industry with clinical evidence, um, and frankly, many systems starting to really brand themselves around their clinical expertise, regardless of whether the numbers could really show that. What do you make of the fact that consumers just don't prioritize that? Will they ever prioritize that? Well, maybe they're prioritizing the right things. I mean, have we ever thought of that? I think the inconvenient truth here, Julie, may be that for the most part, our interactions with the healthcare system are routine. It doesn't really matter where you go. What you really care about are you going to get a good outcome? And the vast majority of time you do. And when that is true, when the probability of a good healthcare outcome is high, then other factors like convenience, customer experience, and price move to the forefront. Maybe what the marketplace is telling us here through these surveys is that the organizations need to figure out what really differentiates them. And if clinical care isn't a key factor in most instances, then maybe they ought to be thinking about Oh, I don't know, ease of use, <laughs> which we just discovered is the primary reason why people switch. So if you want to retain people, approach the problem from their perspective, 
try and figure out what they're trying to solve, and then help them do it. Make it easy. Very few of us are going to look at infection rates, right, before we pick a hospital for surgery. Thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about the second patient experience report, this one from Chime and TalkDesk. The report is based on a survey of 150 mostly health IT executives working at provider organizations. Here are some of the more interesting findings. 64% of the respondents said internal ownership of their organization's patient engagement capabilities is fragmented. 63% said inconsistent patient experiences at different touch points at their organizations is a significant or extreme challenge. And 53% said the integration of patient engagement technologies at their organizations was limited. Julie, it sounds like these execs know the problems. I'm going to ask you to diagnose them. Why is it happening and what can provider execs do about it to improve the patient experience? You know, there's so much underlying this report, and I just need to break it down for you from kind of what I see. So first is massive proliferation of point solutions is driving a lot of this, right? Many of which are venture-backed and some of which are in our portfolio. So sorry, but this is how innovation happens. Second, we have a lack of true consumer centricity. There are so few health systems that are stepping back to really look at how do they segment consumers? How do they target the consumers they want to care for? How do they actually figure out how to find those consumers and attract them with whatever communications they send? What service lines are best suited for those consumers over time, both for their health goals, by the way, and their sick management goals? And how do you communicate through that life cycle with people? So we just, we don't understand how we think about the consumers out there who aren't yet our patients and how to make them patients forever. So then let's talk about lack of coordinated strategy around patient management. So similar to consumer management, a few more health systems have thought about a coordinated way to communicate with patients that already utilize multiple services or doctors. But, you know, oncology communicates with their oncology patients around their cancer service and orthopedics around their knee replacement and the finance department around their bill and so on and so forth. So we're not good at there. And we still, unfortunately, have this massive, you know, four-wall problem versus thinking about how we can practice care in more of a hybrid way and that mindset is still very episodic as opposed to kind of the advice and guidance and management that could be provided between visits to advance that care or manage an issue and how to do that according to a care path and allowing for variation. Like we, those tools exist actually, but they are again in these point solutions and they're not understood by the larger mothership quite yet. And last but, well, I won't say last but not least, I have a big doozy as a last point, but we also have just, you know, there's there's a lack of commercial platforms today that can play air traffic control over all these communications that all these different departments are starting to really think about implementing. And while I do know of a few companies that are currently commercializing to literally play air traffic control across point solutions that are communicating with patients via text or phone or email or whatever, there a lot of them are just launching. So we're literally in the middle of a phase. And the last one that is obviously the big elephant that is always crushing the table is Epic. And Epic maintains... Epic problems. Epic problems. As we all know, Epic maintains records about us. 
And Epic helps the health system process information or maintain for liability purposes information about us. But it doesn't excel at communicating with us or providing us good experience or anything like that. So time after time, I see health systems decide to use Epic instead of these new Fandango point solutions, only to find that, yes, Epic does deliver something useful, maybe, but it just doesn't deliver excellence nor is it designed with the person in mind. It's designed with the health system in mind or the data. So this report does a great job of surveying my last two points. Is it noted that more than 55% of those surveyed consider integration of their patient engagement capabilities a high priority? Great, good news. That's awesome. 84%, however, don't think that this can easily be accomplished at their organization via any, and I repeat in all caps, any existing platform. That makes me happy. And the number one barrier mentioned is the decentralized ownership of all these related capabilities and the inflexibility inflexibility of existing technology architecture. That does not sound like a ringing endorsement for Epic to me. So we have a while to go, but in the meantime, we're creating a lot of chaos. Right. What do they say? People, processes, and uh, technology, right? They all have to work in sync. That's right. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? Well, Julie, I think first we just have to acknowledge Berta's genius here, right? So the first part of this show is talking about the younger you go, how many more people are switching. And the second part of it shows how inept the industry is at coming up with solutions that are actually going to prevent people from shifting. What an epic problem. And by the way, while we're on epic, who in their right mind at a health system would think that putting Epic in charge of the user interface with consumers is a good idea. I mean, anyway, no other industry does this, so leave that as it is. But now to a question. One thing that really stuck out for me in this survey is that 50% of the respondents reported significant or extreme challenges related to burnout with customer service agents. And Julie, we know that burnout is always a question that commands your attention. So how damaging is this dismal reality to providers' efforts to promote consumerism and stickiness and retention, all the things we've been discussing today? And what, if anything, can they do to remedy this situation? Well, the damage is largely being done all around them by these new innovative uh, care models who are providing services in a better way and by innovative technology solutions. So their services, their margin is being eaten away by everybody today. So the damage is already being done. There's probably a lot of things they could do to remedy the situation. What I see a lot is that digital is digital leadership is not clear, doesn't have the operational oversight, and doesn't necessarily always make, you know, it very rarely ever reigns over clinical leadership decision making. So there's just a lack of coordination in ways that, you know, other companies for decades have tried different organizational models to solve. So I think there's a lot that we could learn from other industries to figure out how to organize this kind of, you know, large-scale business transformation. And also acknowledging the fact that when clinical leadership thinks that they are in the middle and they're most important, they're missing the boat. And we, we have to face that music. Almost every other industry has figured this out except healthcare. So the big question is why? Good point. Recently, I I waited 90 minutes at my in-network immediate care center to get my flu shot and my 
latest COVID booster, the med tech who gave me the vaccines apologized for the wait, said the clinic wasn't giving him enough hours, and he's selling real estate on the side to make ends meet. So so here's an idea. Hire the kid full-time and get me and other flu shot and COVID booster patients in and out in 15 minutes. Yeah, it's not complicated, but it gets gets to your point. Somebody upstairs has to figure this out. You know, make the investment or next time I go to the retail pharmacy around the corner. Now let's briefly talk about other news that happened this week. As we know, there was uh, some big news on Tuesday. Julie, what else happened that caught your eye? Well, speaking of one of those innovators who is running circles around the traditional healthcare system, Village MD is acquiring City MD through this Summit Health acquisition, which is another pretty big acquisition, frankly, that will enable Village MD and Walgreens, by the way, to expand in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and randomly Central Oregon. So new national presence being built that will continue to eat away at the core you know, traditional healthcare environment. Yeah, a lot of bucks involved in that deal too. Thanks, Julie. Dave, what other news jumped off your screen? Well, after last week's bummer of a show, I thought I needed to find some good news. And I found it in a RAND study that came out this week that reported an over 30% drop in people beyond the age of 65 with dementia. So between 2000 and 2006, uh, the percentage of the age 65 or older population with dementia dropped from 12.2 to 8.5%. Just terrific news. The researchers aren't sure why, you know, better education about health behaviors, less smoking, more cognitive activities, whatever it is. It's just really, really good news. And good news for me, right? I'm three years away. So come on, Berta, we just we were just talking about your genius. (laughs) So, you know, it just continues to manifest. (laughs) Oh, classic. Thanks, Dave. And thank you again, Julie. And thanks again to our sponsor, Infor. Infor connects the business and mission sides of healthcare, enhancing the staff experience and simplifying patient interactions with data-driven insights and greater operational control. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.